We'll spend a little bit of time looking at that story this morning. Um, I would have loved to read you the story. I, have a, I, I really think that we don't spend enough time just reading the Bible, but it would have taken about half an hour to read this story. So I decided against it. It's about 14 chapters long. Um, so I'm slightly relying on the fact that some, at least some of you will have seen uh, Joseph and an amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yes? Some of you? Yeah, brilliant. I, I grew up thinking that Jacob's surname was Bunsons, because it's Jacob, Jacob and Sons. Um, but anyway, um, but we'll also rely on the kids' version that we've just read, um, and we'll add a few details along the way as we go. So we're not going to have a reading as such, um, though I do want to point you uh, towards just a couple of verses, which I think are the, are the way into the whole story of the person, of the story of Joseph. Um, and that is in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. That's, the, uh, that's them rebooting the computer out there. <laughs> Genesis 50, 19 and 20 says this. Joseph is, uh, this is right at the end of the story, and, and the brothers are worried about the long-term future um, as Joseph... Uh, is in power over them. And they beg his forgiveness and mercy once again. And he simply says this to them. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. We'll come back to that little phrase uh, a couple of times maybe as we look through But I think that the the big idea of this passage, of this story, is simply that God will always work his plans out. In the middle of that that little verse, uh, it says, God intended it for good. Um, Each moment of of the story, each moment of your day, uh, God is working out his plans. If you zoom out from moments such as that prison cell in the middle of the story, Uh, What you see in the overarching story, one of the things you see is that God moves his special family, uh, who will become one day the people of Israel, from uh, the land of Canaan into Egypt. Um, And that fulfills a promise that had been made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, um, which was that this people that would one day be a blessing to the whole world would become strangers in a foreign land, they would, uh, they would be taken into slavery, and that one day God would rescue them. So we see that amidst everything that goes on in this story, there is that part of the overarching story that happens. And of course, as we zoom out from that, we see that as part of God's almighty story of salvation history. Uh, God working out his plans from the prison cell to that moving of, the pe- of, of this family from Israel to Egypt, or Canaan to Egypt, to God's almighty plan uh, to, uh, for the whole of creation. Um, and of course, you know, it doesn't look like that at many points in the story. It certainly wouldn't have felt that way for Joseph, as it probably doesn't for us. I don't know what your experience was last week and how constantly aware you were of God's mighty plans being worked out. I suspect not very much. Um, But I think this is one of the go-to stories when life feels like God's plans are invisible, aren't even happening. 
This is one of those stories to go to, to remind yourself that there is a greater reality. Think of Joseph in his prison cell, um, as we saw on the screen. So God is always working out his plans. More particularly, God is working out his plans uh, within the highs and the lows of life, through all of the mixed agendas around us. Going back to that verse in Genesis 50, uh, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Let's just spend a few minutes looking at how, how uh, the highs and lows reflected God's plan. Starts in this dysfunctional family. Um, the, whole, uh, the whole history of, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his sons. Just is, I mean, it's a, it's a counselor's nightmare uh, of dysfunction. Um, and yet God uses it. There's this favoritism expressed in this coat that Joseph gets to wear, which basically would have been an enormous point of superiority, uh, yet God uses it. There's the jealousy of uh, the brothers, uh, burning with jealousy. Uh, the injustice of then throwing him in a pit uh, and then eventually selling him to passing slave traders. That God uses that uh, to, to, for his plans. Joseph arrives in a foreign land, lonely, in a completely unfamiliar place. Uh, but God uses that as part of his plan. He turns out to be brilliant at what he does um, and quickly rises up through the ranks. He has enormous vocational success. God uses that for his plans. He is... Uh, he, uh, there is the, his, the, the wife of his master takes a shine to him and invites him to bed. And I bet she was beautiful. She would have been as a, the wife of a high-ranking official. Um, Joseph has to resist uh, the seduction uh, of great sex. God uses that moment. But it all goes badly wrong, and he ends up being imprisoned uh, dark years in a prison cell, which would have been a place where you awaited execution. It wasn't a place of punishment. It was a place where you awaited execution. And he's languishing there for a good 10 years. And yet there, God is working out his plans. Then there are these two characters that get imprisoned with him, the cupbearer of the king and the king's baker. They have dreams. Um, they're not interested in the God of uh, of Joseph, um, and yet by giving them these dreams and Joseph interpreting them, that's the first step to his release. God remains working out his plans. And yet, as it turns out, the one of the two, one of them gets executed as the dream suggested, um, and Joseph doesn't sugar the pill. It's one of those slightly awkward moments in the story. Uh, but the other one is released back into, uh, the minister, into his ministry in Pharaoh's court um, and immediately forgets all about Joseph. Uh, yet God is still working out his plan. And then eventually he remembers uh, uh, about Joseph. Joseph is no longer forgotten. In fact, he is honored as he, uh, as he does this wonderful interpretation of Pharaoh's dream for him, and then suddenly he finds himself in a place of immense power 
admired by the whole known world. God still there using him in that situation. Famine then takes root across the region, uh, just as Joseph said it would. God's using that moment. Then there's this um, extraordinary moment, this sort of sense of divine coincidence as this little family from Canaan arrives hungry and come before Joseph, and it turns out to be Joseph's brothers, uh, God using uh, that moment. And then, again, this is something that isn't present in the story that we saw. Joseph has this cunning plan to see whether or not his, his brothers have changed. Um, and he basically stitches up his little brother, Benjamin, in order to see whether or not his brothers will sacrifice themselves or whether they remain selfish and jealous as they had been right back at the beginning of the story. God uses all of that. And then finally there's this moment of forgiveness of, uh, of Joseph's brothers. Um, this moment where the whole family are invited by Pharaoh himself to come and live in Egypt. God uses that. I don't know which part of the story you relate to as you think about uh, the week that went before, the week that lies ahead. Um, what are the moments in, in, in your week where the hand of God seems most hidden, most unlikely? What are the darkest and most broken bits of your week uh, that, uh, that it doesn't feel like God can redeem? God uses all of those moments to work out his plans. So, God is working out his plans, and he is doing so uh, within the highs and lows of life and the agendas of all of those around us. But more than that, God's plan isn't just a sort of generic plan for the whole world. Um, God's plan is also for you uh, and for me. It is for us as individuals. God's plan is to include us in all that he is doing for the sake of the sort of little plans that he has for us as individuals. And that fundamentally is about our transformation into his character. And we see that um, in the, the changes in the, in the people in the story. Um, the, the, the story in some ways has a happy ending. The people arrive in, in, in Egypt, but there are, there are dark things going on. If you're into... Um, politics and economics. The, um, the, the, the last couple of chapters uh, of, of the story actually make quite hard reading uh, because Joseph is basically party to an economic policy that breeds dependence and ultimately poverty. Um, now, that's a controversial thing to say. Uh, but the point I'm making is that, that, that that's actually not the, that's not the core thing. The core thing that we see is that amidst all, the, all of the brokenness, God is at work in the lives of all of those that are part of, of his people um, in the story. We see Joseph go from this incredibly arrogant, uh, self-centered uh, man, a little teenager at the start of the story, uh, to somebody who is forgiving and God-centered. He recognizes uh, that actually 
although he had seen himself as to be the center of the universe, as his brothers stand before him asking for forgiveness. He places God on the throne and says, it is for God uh, to forgive you. Am I uh, in the place of God? No. Here's, uh, here is God's forgiveness for you. That sense of him being humbled and put in his place is actually one of the success stories of the story of Joseph. Um, we see, uh, we see this, a similar trajectory, really, in, in the brothers, again, who at the start of the story are jealous um, and hurt and doing everything out of, of, those, uh, of those angry feelings. And yet, at the end, again, if you read the story, there is this sense of, as they are tested by Joseph and as they see their little brother potentially locked up, uh, forever. Judah, the, the oldest brother, I mean, uh, he's not actually the oldest brother, is he? I can't remember, but he's the most significant brother. He steps in um, and offers himself uh, in place of Joseph. There's this wonderful sense that he and his brothers have been transformed by their participation in the story of God as it works its way out in uh, in these chapters. So, God is always working out his plans. God is always working out those plans through the highs and lows of life and through the agendas of all of those around us. Um, God is working out those plans and including us in them for the sake of our own transformation into his likeness. But finally, that means that our primary investment as we go about our day is to be uh, that end, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. If you get to the end of a day and can spot some way in which you've learned something more about Christ or that you've somehow um, been brought towards him, orientated towards him by what has gone on in that day, that is the greatest success that the day can possibly bring you. We are to strive amidst all of the circumstances of life, uh, to be faithful to God's character, which he has revealed. And we do that in the midst of the outworking of God's plan, which he often hasn't revealed. We we like to think that we're going to gun for for God's big plans in our lives, but often we don't know what those are. So what does it mean to live faithfully? It means to be committed to... uh, our own personal transformation amidst whatever God brings our way. And actually we see that in Joseph. We see this striving uh, to be faithful no matter what happens. We see his purity in the face of seduction. We see grace in the face of injustice. We see compassion on fellow prisoners uh, in the face of fear for his own life. We see a growing humility in the face of power and prosperity and success. We see a growing trust in the face of hopelessness. And most of all, we see 
this determination to forgive and to love where it isn't deserved. So let me take you back to those two verses I read, Genesis 50, 19 and 20. As Joseph's brothers beg for mercy, Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, it is God's uh, who, who forgives. You intended to harm me, and yet God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. God will work out his plans. He'll do so within the highs and lows and through all of the mixed agendas uh, around us. He includes us in those plans for the sake of our own transformation. And we are therefore to strive throughout all of those highs and lows and in all of those interactions uh, to, to live out, to, uh, to become like uh, Christ in all that we are. So let's just take a moment of quiet. What does the coming week look like for you? Maybe you'll be on holiday. There'll be fun and games. Uh, or children that need managing. What would it mean for God to be at work at those moments? What would it mean for you to be committed to your personal transformation at those moments? Maybe that you're at work and things are going really badly. You're intimidated. Uh, you're not sure what to do. You're overworked and stressed. What would it mean to hold on to the sense of God working out his plans through all of the highs and lows? God, we thank you that amidst the hiddenness of your will, we can trust that you are working out your plans. Thank you that there is no greater certainty in life. Thank you uh, that we see that most purely in the person of Christ. Um, and that we can know for certain that one day he will return and all things will be restored. Um, and we we long for you to continue to work out your plans. We pray that you would help us to trust that you are doing so amidst all that we face this week. And that you would help us to keep front and center our desire to become like you and to participate in your restoration of all things.